welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, everyone, welcome in. This is the Sunday Deep Dive with Brad Freeman. Brad, how are you doing today? We're in a closet. I think we're seeing you over on your video Zoom. We're in a different location. Uh, how, how is that? How are you doing today? I am in my work studio that doubles as a bedroom. So uh, things are going well for me. I'm living a very glamorous life and I am, I'm happy to be here. All right. And then we got Ryan here as always too. And we're going to be talking about Wish which is called context logic, but we're going to call it wish because that's the, uh, really what the company is wish.com wish the mobile app. Uh, and Ryan will introduce it, but first we have to talk about potential multi baggers. Ryan, do you want to introduce the the service from our friend, Chris at growth, the value? Yeah. He, uh, he is our friend. Um, and basically he's picking stocks that he thinks can 10 X in 10 years. Uh, and he has one of the best track records out there. Uh, especially from the investors we know. Uh, I think what, C-Limited, what was the cost basis on that? Uh, $54 a share. And there's plenty right. others. They, you know, the reputation speaks He's crushed for itself. It, but yeah. it's a Seeking Alpha service. I'm sure you can find the link. It's called Potential Multi-Baggers. They run several portfolios there. Chris helps you track what he's adding, kind of what he's seeing out there. It's continuous updates. And the portfolios are all tracked for accountability. It's very important for them. So you can see how the live portfolios are doing. You can see how every pick does in real time. Yeah, it's not like you're just reading his stuff either. You can kind of collaborate with him. Yeah. Say, you know, what was your thinking behind this, even though he does detailed write-ups and uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's communicative. Yeah. And if this sounds like something that you would want to do or be a part of, you can go to seeking alpha and look for from growth to value or potential multi-baggers. You'll find it there. You can Google it, or you can go to at from value on Twitter that has all the links as well. All right, Ryan, do you want to introduce wish.com yeah. or wi- I, I don't know if it's a dot com because it's a mobile native e-commerce marketplace uh, and it's really for cost conscious consumers. And when I say that. I mean, these people are looking, it's like dirt cheap prices. Um, basically, I mean, stupidly cheap. It's like, it's similar to Amazon, but just really, really cheap stuff. Kind of like um, a garage sale on those prices. Yeah. And the, and the supply is sourced from merchants. So it doesn't actually come from Wish, but uh, Wish is basically operating as the platform in the middle. And when I say it's stupid stuff or, or say stupid cheap, it's like, I saw today a toothpick crossbow for $1.67. So that's kind of some of the stuff that's on there. There's more real stuff, but then there's items like that. And it takes a while to ship. So I think the average uh, time to delivery was 22 days this quarter. I might be getting that wrong. It was actually at 62 days at the height of the pandemic, but that was because of uh, shipping issues. Um, And a lot of the items are sourced in China because that's where they get basically the most competitive prices or cheapest prices. Um, they don't give an exact number on it, but they said the majority. Um, and that's also why the time to delivery is so long because they have to ship that stuff. Uh, and then Wish generates revenue by taking, I believe it's still the same, a 15% cut of each sale that's on their core marketplace. So it's not merchant fees, but then they also have merchant services. So there's stuff like 
product boost, which allows merchants to promote their different items. Uh, and then they also have logistics services that merchants can pay for. Do you know if that's on a, like, do they pay a fee for that? Or is that like a uh, yeah, part of it's sale? sort of like a fulfillment by wish is kind of like fulfillment by Amazon. I think you subscribe to it. I didn't see any of the pricing rates on there. I assume it's growing like you a level lead. up, like there might be tranches that you go through. Like, all right, if you do a thousand ships, a month, it might be this. And then if you do a hundred thousand, it could be a lot more, but yeah. that, that's the fastest growing segment. Yeah. Yeah. And the company's actually headquartered in San Francisco, but the majority of sales come from Europe. Uh, it was like 46% Europe, 40% North America. So pretty yeah. healthy mix. Yeah. And then uh, a little bit about the history, fascinating history, actually. So Peter Scholzewski, 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 uh, anyway, I'm sorry for getting that name wrong. He's a Polish immigrant to Canada. Uh, I think that was when he was in his teens, I believe. Uh, but he attended Waterloo University. And before he graduated, he interned at Google. He ended up moving down to Silicon Valley, I think in 2003, 2004, and starting at Google. Was an early employee there. Great time to be there. Uh, and he eventually moved to Google's South Korean office, where he learned that people sort of in America, it feels like Google was really trying to have this minimalist page. And in South Korea, people don't mind like crowded uh, search pages with lots of information. And so that's kind of played into Wish's design today. Um, and he actually left in 2009 and spent two years on his own writing code um, and building what was now called or what was called context logic. Um, and it was designed to predict interests based on consumers' habits and clicks. Apparently the tech behind it, apparently Peter's a really good coder, I guess. Uh, the tech was supposed to be really uh, solid. They got early, it was supposed to be a competitor, an advertising competitor to Google. They got a 1.7 million in seed money. Um, but, and I think the Yahoo founder was one, he's like, we don't know what it's gonna do. We just know the tech's really good or the Yahoo co-founder. And they even got an acquisition offer from Facebook at one point, but Peter said, no, I want to do this myself. So he called up an old college friend who became his co-founder and they built Wish, which was the marketplace. Uh, and then they went public in, the, in December of 2020 and they reached north of a $15 billion valuation uh, following the IPO. And they got funding, a private funding round at like an $11.2 billion valuation um just before going public now it sits at what five billion dollar market cap yeah i'll get into the numbers yeah in in just a bit but yeah yeah so fascinating history um but i'll let uh brett dig into the industry yeah quick one here e-commerce everyone knows about it e-commerce industry is about four trillion dollars worldwide uh we all know it's huge we all know it's growing fast and got a giant boost due to the pandemic uh it's projected to grow steadily over the next few years i think from what i was looking at on statista uh, which isn't the best source, but it's kind of a grouping of sources. Uh, it's projected to get to $6 billion by 2025, but remember those are only projections. Uh, and there are a lot of competitors because the industry is so large. So that could include even companies like Amazon, Walmart, or Target. However, the true competitors and the ones that operate in the closest business model to Wish would be someone like eBay, Etsy, Mercari, Poshmark, and then probably increasingly Instagram and Pinterest for the type of stuff, you know, on there as well. Facebook marketplace. I just thought of that one as well. Uh, but yeah, pretty simple industry. I'll kick it over to Brad to talk about more about the management and the ownership. Yeah. So, so Peter Soleski, I'm going to go with that pronunciation. Um, and, and again, sorry if we're, we're butchering it, but he's 39 years old. Um, Ryan went into his, his background a little bit, but I'll hit on it on a little more personal note. Um, so he talked about in the shareholder letter, 
being this kid from <clears throat> Soviet controlled Poland and, and not having access to basic goods and services and him dreaming of when his uncle would bring him Legos or, or being able to go to a mall in Western Europe or something like that. So that was, that was his driving motivation behind creating Wish. And I think pairing that with his, his background at Google and his, his pretty impressive track record there, um, I think is a pretty nice complimentary resume for, for, this, type of, for this type of endeavor. Um, in terms of more executive experience that the CFO comes from, from Jasper Technology, he was also the CFO of Kraft Canada, uh, the general counsel as the former general counsel at Zynga. Um, from an ownership perspective, owners and directors, we still don't have after the offering data, we have before the offering data, but it's usually pretty darn similar. Um, officers and directors own 70%, 0 of the voting power before the offer. Um, Peter himself has 57% of that voting power. The largest six funds own about 25% of the voting power. So most of the company's float is, is spoken for. That's before the offering again. So I'm sure, I'm sure with the billion roughly dollars they raised that went down, but that, that just gives you an idea of a baseline of, of what the ownership looks like. Right. And they have a dual class uh, share structure, right? Yeah. Yep. All right. I'll, I'll hit valuation quick. Market cap from when I was looking is about $5.75 billion. Ticker is W-I-S-H. Enterprise value is a lot less at about $4 billion. However, I think you can make the argument that you really, as an investor, don't have a claim on that cash. It's a lot different than the company that is generating cash each year because the way their financials are looking right now, and Ryan will get into it later, I'm sure we're going to discuss it on the second half too. There's going to be a burn for a long time here. Uh, so all that cash might be burned. So it's a tough one, whether you want to use enterprise value or market cap, but price to sales is about two and price to gross profit is 3.3. So fairly cheap on those two metrics, um, unprofitable. So it's kind of hard to look at them at any PE ratio or a 12 month operating cash flow or something like that. But they also have and this should be noted because it's very important, about 100 million options in RSUs, uh, which would be restricted stock units. They act kind of like a, or yeah, they act kind of like stock options. They are ready, I guess, to dilute the share count over the next few years once they get exercised. And to compare that to the current count, the current share count is about 620 million. So fairly strong share dilution coming down the line. Um, Ryan, do you want to hit earnings? Yeah, Brad, do you have something oh, first? Yeah, sorry. Would you, so just a question for me, would you, is that essentially just a shelf offering that they're waiting to to file when, when the time's right? I think, uh, I'm not exactly sure. I, I bet it's from just the plans they have with employees. I think they had a founder, CEO, one of those level things that are popular now where like there's 10 different levels of whatever Charges. metrics they want to use. Um, I could be getting that wrong because I was looking at another company that had that, but yeah, all I looked at was the aggregate share stock options and RSUs outstanding, and it kind of it kind of jumped out with Wish, but I don't I don't have yeah. the details right now. Yeah, I, I missed that. Um, thank you for bringing that up. I, I think I missed that in the S one. Yeah, yeah, you gotta get to those notes in the. Uh, yeah. uh, I think it was in the 10K. Those are in or the 10Q. You gotta get to ah, the notes. It. It's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, although I would, it seems weird for someone with. I mean, Peter's got 57% of the voting power. I don't think you've got to power him up with vesting tranches to get him to own a lot of the company. He's not incentivized to do that. He already owns it, yeah. 
but I mean, I'll, I'll dig into the earnings. Uh, so their first quarter revenue was up 75% year over year. Core marketplace revenue made up the most of it and it grew at about 40% year over year, but logistics revenue grew by over 300%. So a lot of strength there. Um, and then they are losing money, uh, as Brett mentioned, uh, even though they are, are really catering towards cost conscious customers. They don't seem to be too cost conscious themselves. Uh, their net margin was negative 17% for the first quarter. Looks worse last year because there was a lot of IPO related stock-based compensation. Uh, they had negative 354 million in free cash flow, but a lot of that was due to the working capital adjustments. There was like uh, a lot of payable uh, accounts payable. I believe there's a huge increase due to uh, some of the shipping stuff with merchants because a lot of the stuff couldn't get shipped. Like I said, there was a 62 day, 62 day delay during the height of the pandemic. Um, and so they're just kind of, they're, they're coming off that. So cash flow is going to look a little wonky. Um, and then adjusted EBITDA margin was negative 10%. It was negative 30%, I believe a few years back, according to their conference call. And then sales and marketing spend was 108% of gross profit. Um, so they are just, they're pouring money into sales and marketing. I think they had a $30 million to sponsor the Lakers. Um, they are sponsored. The Jersey sponsor the Lakers. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what do you guys they're think the, that? They're one of the largest advertisers on Facebook too. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys, what do you think? Lakers sponsorship, good or bad? Well, not apparently- the stadium shout out. SoFi. <laughs> yeah. I'd say the history of, uh, of stadium sponsorships, are, the tracker is not great, but I hope SoFi uh, doesn't fall on some of those footsteps. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Apparently the Lakers are pretty big in China, which is a lot of where That's a lot true. of the merchants are. Um, so I guess that was, uh, they mentioned that in uh, the reasoning behind it, but I'll get into some of the user numbers. Total monthly active users declined 7% year over year to 101 million. Um, and a lot of that was attributable to decreased advertising spend in emerging markets. And they also de-emphasized the really low priced items, which is they get more sales from the low priced items, especially from those emerging market areas, but the economics are terrible on them. Um, or at least worse. So they said once they kind of have the better logistics in place in those emerging markets, they'll start to ramp up marketing there again. Uh, And then revenue per active customer grew 76% year over year. They're trying to target higher lifetime value customers um, or at least customers with better economics. And then the percentage of orders above $20 increased 54% year over year. So they're really trying to improve the economics and and I guess get higher ticket items. Pay close attention to the wording though. It says the percentage of orders above $20 increased 54%, not the volume. So as a percentage of the whole, so it could have gone from like 2% to 3%. I don't think it did, but it just felt like a little bit of tricky wording there. And then active buyers decreased 3% to 61 million. That kind of falls in line with the total MAUs. But in general, it had a it was a much larger company than I thought. I believe it's the third largest e-commerce marketplace in North America. Um, so it's weird to think that it's trading at a $5 billion market cap considering that, um, but they are losing a lot of money as I mentioned before. Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. All right, Brad, do you wanna talk balance sheet? Sure, so the company, this surprised me a little bit, raised a little over a billion dollars in their IPO. So kind of just, Meshing with what Ryan just said, uh, it's a it's a big company, and, and that was that was a big offering. Um, they have 1.62 billion total now in cash and equivalents. It doesn't really neatly break down things into long term debt. Um, so uh, we will go kind of 
through item or liability items. So current liabilities are about a billion in, in total liabilities. That's made up of payables, uh, refunds, which they have to do a lot of because the quality's um, not super great, but we'll, we'll touch on that later. And, and then every other accrued expense that they have, um, they only have 34 million in non-current liabilities. That's all lease agreements. And they have a brand new $280 million credit revolver. Well, not brand new, but as of November, 2020, and they're paying LIBOR plus 1.5% on that. So pretty darn affordable access to credit. Um, interest expense last quarter was $0. It was a couple million for the whole year of 2020. Um, but but as as we talked about, they're, they're burning, or they burned through, what was it, $354 million in, in free cash flow, which I know some of that was was not non-cash or not non-cash items, but transitory items that aren't going to repeat. But but even with even with 1.6 billion in in total liquidity, um, that doesn't last. I, I mean, you, you have they have a couple of years before they have to to, to raise money with the with, with these current unit unit economics. But hopefully, margins will quick quickly move in the right direction before then. Yeah, you'd hope that they won't have to raise again. Uh, it'll take a few years of this burn rate. Oh, also, yeah. Peter. Peter said this before in interviews, and I know a lot of, I know Adam Newman said it, but uh, he says we could be profitable if we wanted to right now, but uh, we are spending a lot on marketing because we want to raise awareness and we want to grow. Um, and when they have the burn rate to do it, uh, I, I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah. It looks like they're spending a lot to build out logistics that has pretty bad margins right now. Hopefully that'll improve, but I guess that's something good to talk about on the second half, but let's take a break. And then we'll get back to the show. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. Next up, we have anecdotal evidence and customer stories. I think we all probably downloaded the app to check it out on this one. I haven't Uh, purchased anything. I haven't purchased anything either, but Brad, what are your thoughts? I think it says here you purchased something, so what are your thoughts? I was a pretty pretty loyal user in in undergrad um, when I had no money, and I I still have very little money, but when I had less money then, um, and, and quality wasn't wasn't super important to me, and, and price was was by far the most limiting factor. Um, so it definitely served a purpose for me. I, I bought some clothes, I bought a watch, I bought uh, I think a phone case, and and it was all kind of um, it wasn't the greatest quality, but it, it served a purpose, and it was cheaper than anything else I could find. So. What were your thoughts on the, did they do like the promotion things like throwing out 50% off, 50% off, like throwing that out of your face on on that? Yeah. And then once, yeah, they did. And then once I downloaded Wish, Instagram and and Facebook was just an endless list of, of, of Wish sponsored ads. So, so, um, so they're definitely, they're definitely hitting the marketing hard, which, which again, meshes well with um, Ryan talking about the CEO saying they could be profitable right now if they want it to be. Uh, But yeah. Yeah, it says they have like 8 million Instagram followers, which, you know, that's, there's some potential there if Instagram marketplace or whatever and they call it takes off to use that those, as a place to sell as well. Those famous TikTokers just started selling there. I know we said, oh, they said that in the letter. Old. It was in the letter, right? Yeah. But there are like, there are some famous TikTokers and they recently started selling their energy drinks on Wish or whatever and promoting it through there. Uh, I mean, they seem uh, attuned to what 
uh, is sort of the way to reach consumers. And that really is their target demographic is the yeah. people that are buying super cheap stuff and kind of the kids on TikTok. Yeah. You want to hear yours, Ryan? Uh, yeah. I looked at some stuff on the app. I downloaded it. Um, one of the things I saw was Beats Studios for $24. So the same thing. Retails like 300 bucks. Yeah. Those aren't real. I mean, that's kind of the, the trick here is they're mostly counterfeit stuff. So it's like just willingly accepted counterfeit stuff. I don't, like everyone's on the same page. Like this is just, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean whatever, not, I guess. I, I, it just. I mean, the uh, quality. I mean, the quality might be. Uh, you're taking a risk on that quality of the the audio there, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, it, there were some things that had like verifications, like a check mark. So kind of like maybe like that's the real product, I guess. Um, and then there's also, I mean, you pay a lot of attention to the reviews um, yeah. and sort of the pictures and the comments and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I downloaded the app too. It felt gimmicky, I guess is kind of what you guys are saying too. You know, it's, it's like a feature though, not a bug. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's a bug for me. Um, <laughs> You're a minimalist. I, I guess. I don't know. I don't like buying stuff, so I don't think that I'm the target market here. But I do worry about churn. Uh, just looking at the app, it seems very easy to churn off. Um, yeah, I think that's just kind of the big concern anecdotally from what, mm. from what I thought. Uh, next up, competitive advantages. Brad, what are your thoughts on Wish? Do they have any competitive advantages? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm looking at Ryan's, and mine looks pretty similar to his. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a different one. Um, but I, I think uh, the cost and, and their ability to to source all this merchandise um, for very low cost. I know there's Mercari and a couple others that are are doing similar things, but there's not a lot of others that are doing similar things. Um, sourcing new merchandise for for um, profitably, according to the CEO, as as um, as cheaply as they can do it, I, I think does serve as a competitive advantage because there are a lot of people who, who where price is the primary motivation. Um, it still is for me. Um, hopefully, that won't be true at some point in my life. But but yeah, they 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 are serving a large a large cohort of people who who this this really is relevant for. I think. Yeah, I agree. That makes sense. And my competitive advantage then would be scale because they've got more than 100 million monthly active users and they've got more than 60 million active buyers. Trailing 12 month. Trailing 12 month active buyers. And this is a platform where sales are driven by data, reviews, ratings, comments, pictures, stuff like that. You're going to vet any product through that. Um, because there are so many counterfeits and stuff like that. And so the more users that are on there, the more purchases they have, the better the product gets. Um, and so I, I guess th- that's sort of a scale advantage for them. Yeah, and there it's not apples to apples uh, for economic markets and culturally, but a lot of people were comparing it when I was looking up like, what's Wish? Is there any companies like Wish? People were comparing it to Pinduoduo, which has done mm-hmm. phenomenally well in China. I'm not sure they're exactly the same, but... You know, I guess, you know, that's never the thing like, oh, Pindo Duo of US, this is going to be a $100 billion company too. You don't want to do that. But uh, there's a good example of that, of that type of product working out in China. And that's like another market where there was already established players like an eBay through Alibaba kind of, and they got a lot of other stuff. But then there's also the Amazon with JD.com. So there is an example of, of all these marketplaces winning within China and maybe Wish can bring that over here. But uh, I'll, I'll talk my competitive advantages. I kind of lock in with logistics and advertisements for the merchants. So it, it can keep people and merchants dependent on the Wish platform. If they're providing the logistics, 
if you are advertising with them and that's bringing in users to buy your stuff, uh, I think, I don't know if that's a competitive advantage. Uh, I mean, they've now got it, what? Could, it could be in the future. I don't know. They've got what? 550,000 merchants. Uh, they have a million. They have over a million. Yeah. It, the reliability and how big the merchants are, each merchant is, I'm unsure of, but they have a million according to some article from 2018. So yeah, probably even more, a lot more now. Yeah. Huh. I must have read the wrong number, but yeah. I think you're yeah. probably, look, you might've been looking at non-Chinese or something, you know, cause they, they, they bracketed out. Yeah. They, they've given out some numbers, but. Oh. All right. Uh, future growth opportunities, Brad, you want to go first? Uh, yeah. Leaning into those toothpick crossbows that we were talking about. Or, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so from the <laughs> S1, haha, but I'm sure, but I'm going to take a quote from the S1 for my future growth opportunity. So uh, yeah. No, so I'll just say, we continue to evaluate our options for seeking additional licenses in several other jurisdictions to optimize our payment solutions and support the future growth of our business. So it sounds like um, they're definitely dabbling in fintech land. And I think that could provide a lot of upside in terms of not outsourcing some of these payment capabilities to third parties and, and just boosting their their bottom line further. Yeah, I mean, every e-commerce, yeah, every e-commerce company seems to have done this where they just make the native payment solution and people are like, oh, whatever, someone's making Etsy pay, payments or whatever they call it and you kind of roll your eyes because it's a simple thing. Yeah, it's just everyone seems to be doing it, but yeah. they do it for a reason because it helps with your uh, your margins overall. So, yeah. Ryan, Ryan, what's your future growth opportunity? Uh, I have two. Uh, first, I was going to say quality assurance improvements, but it sounds like people... Uh, don't care. Uh, it's, well, like, it's, it, I think some, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of a give and take. It's weird. I, I'm not exactly sure if they care. So I think uh, like the verification thing was a good idea. I think maybe an AR element, they might've mentioned this actually, like an AR element where you can kind of see the product in, you know, uh, and, and apply it to uh, reality. Um, but then also wish local, they have 50, uh, more than 50,000 partner pickup stores. This really speeds up delivery time. People can go pick it up from that store. Um, it doesn't require any spending on real estate and it just improves the overall experience. So I think just make getting as many local uh, partner stores as you can would be good. Yeah. It was kind of a quick hack that they made because they're, they're not going to be able to spend the billions of dollars to, I don't know, like Amazon does to really get all this stuff going. Uh, for two-day shipping or whatever people are accustomed to these days. So kind of using them, these brick-and-mortar stores could really help. But uh, I'll talk about my future growth opportunity. This is the fastest-growing segment, like Ryan's saying. It's logistics services. Um, it's growing at really low margins. You can see their total gross margins decreasing pretty fast as logistics revenue ramps up. But, I mean, it's growing so quickly that it is gross profit accretive. Uh, I think they were growing 56% last quarter, so it's not like they're growing with zero margins. Uh, and they also talk about this logistics as a service segment. I'm not ex sure exactly what it is. And again, that's something you kind of roll your eyes over because they're just trying to toss that in to hype up shareholders a bit, I think. Uh, but something to watch out for. They really seem to be leaning into the logistics stuff. Um, and it's just outsourcing fulfillment to Wish. So it's kind of like fulfillment by Amazon, if you're aware of that. Uh, however, which does not have its own logistics network like Amazon does. So the margins, it's kind of tough to see how the margins are ever going to get really strong, but we'll see how it works over time. Hopefully they can get some operating leverage if they can scale this business. All right. Yeah. Highlights, lowlights, Brad. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going back to the personal experience that I've had with the company. The highlight is, is the value proposition that they're delivering for people who 
who have the desire to buy things like like Legos, um, as as the as the CEO Peter was talking about in the shareholder letter, and can't really afford to pay for the highest quality. So I, I think um, yes, the quality of their of their stuff is is not the greatest, but it does serve a very interesting niche, I think, and that kind of feeds into my low light, which is as soon as these consumers get any kind of disposable income and, and start to get comfortable with, with their financial situation, um, I think user churn will be a real issue um, because then quality becomes more important and price becomes a little less important. So I'm not sure how forecastable life, lifetime value of a consumer can be. I'm not sure how reliable um, retention is going to be. And, and I, I think that means they're gonna have to just continue sinking their teeth into marketing to, to drive traffic. Yeah, I think the goal. Yeah, the goal is that. Yeah, I think you're right. That could be a low light. They're going to have to marketing spend might be perpetual. Um, but hopefully, the goal is that people get some sort of income over their life that they move away from the platform. But this really could capture that more cost conscious consumer. Uh, and I think there'll always be a market there. Uh, my people highlight. like going to garage sales, so. Yeah, you know, they like going. I mean, you're not going to go there every day, but you can, sometimes you like perusing a garage sale if you're trying to, maybe you're trying to just find a, a big deal on something and you're not worried about the quality as much. Yeah. My, uh, my highlight would be that Jackie Reese's um, joined as the ex- executive chair recently. Um, and if you're thinking like, who cares? Like she was on the conference call. She's like a part of the company. She's like integral to it. It's not just like some passive board member. Um, and I, I, she's one of the executives that I think I like best. Pretty much everything she's touched has turned to gold. She's, uh, she was the lead at Square Capital, chairman of Square Financial Services, left. Uh, she was even the, on the board of directors at Alibaba prior to that. She's uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. Um, and she didn't need to come to wish. Like, I don't think she was like just looking for a job. Um, she, she, I think she finds companies that she likes that are young and helps them grow. Uh, and she's gotten good at that. And she was able to do that with Square. Um, and she's now done it or looking to do it with Wish. Um, and I think it could definitely be a profitable business if they peel back some of that sales and marketing. Uh, definitely could. Um, not going to be, there's not going to be any huge margins on it, but. Uh, at 10% margins that the price doesn't seem too crazy. My low lights would be the deals on the website look too good to be true. Like I think there's a lot of fraudulent stuff. And then there's also a ton of macro risk um, with economic tensions between China and the U S because they source so much of their supply from there. So yeah, they seem to be trying to grow out of just China, but that still seems like a low light. It's hard. I mean, that makes that lowers the customer value prop. Doesn't it? If you can't source cheaper, yeah, supply. that's true. And it really, I mean, it's that hurts that delivery time. I mean, 22 days delivery is not what people are looking for anymore. I uh, mean, they saw four, I think it was 414% year over year growth in Wish Express, which is less than five uh, okay. day delivery. Yeah, improving that. I mean, if they continually improve that, that's better, better than not. And I think a lot of that has to do with having Wish local stores, I imagine. Yeah, that's probably true. All right, I'll hit mine. Highlights, uh, the S&M spend is improving, but I'll talk about that in my lowlights too. Uh, it's all, you know, it's high. Um, strong industry tailwind. Uh, we have, I guess you guys didn't mention that. There's room for a lot of winners it, just because 
Amazon's in there just because eBay and Walmart are in there and Target doesn't mean that there can't be a small company that's doing, say, whatever, $5 billion in revenue sometime down the line. Um, I think it is a unique value proposition that is different than a lot of the other Western retailers like Amazon. Uh, they're kind of saying like, yeah, this could this stuff could be junk, but it's really like a giant garage sale, uh, which has its own it has its own value proposition. You know, you're not going like, okay, you go on Wish, theoretically, I guess is kind of what their value proposition is supposed to be is you go on there to browse and find things you didn't know you really wanted. It's kind of just a splurge purchase for 10 bucks, kind of like you do at a garage sale. But Amazon, you go there with the intent, you know, searching for something, you already know what it is. You're hopefully on and off in three minutes. Uh, so totally different. Lowlights is the last 12 month buyer stagnating since 2018. They had, I think, 64 million last 12 month, uh, last 12 month buyers in 2018. And, you know, now Ryan gave that number at 61. I think that's just a giant red flag. When well, you I couple think- that with the high S&M spend, I mean, if you're spending 60% of your revenue on sales and marketing or 108% of your gross profit on sales and marketing, and you're not growing customers, but they're growing, sorry, they're, the customers are down because of the emerging market stuff, but the value, the 75% year over year revenue growth from active customers, that's That's where I think the marketing spend is going. If you can generate that revenue from your existing customers, does it really matter? I would rather them peel it back in the emerging markets. Uh, yeah, I mean, all I'm looking for is customer uh, is SNM spent as a percentage of revenue to come down and customers to grow. That's all I'm looking for because what I'm seeing is if your customer account is stagnating and sales and marketing spend is this high, it tells me that you're not, I mean, that feels unsustainable to me because if you, maybe they can peel back SNM spend and customers won't t- tank. But if you're advertising this much and customers aren't growing, I mean, that's just, that's tough for me. Uh, and then ad feels gimmicky, but maybe that's part of the deal. Um, you know, it threw me four 50% off codes before I was going to buy an item. I just think that's a lot. Maybe that's fine. But I don't know, for me, it kind of threw me off and I'm never going to, I don't think I'm ever going to open it again. Um, yeah. You might, Anything. yeah, you might not be the target customer. Yeah. And <laughs> if I'm not target customer, that's fine. doesn't mean, yeah. doesn't mean a wish can't succeed without me. Yeah. All right. More or less interested, Brad? Uh, I'm going to go more interested. I, I do need to see a couple quarters of continued of continued growth and continued movement towards profitability. And, and I would like to see that buyer growth return. Um, well, when we And I'm talking about when that happening when we get beyond COVID-19. Um, this probably didn't get as large of a boost as, as some of the other uh, digitally native marketplaces. But I mean, when garage sales come back, when thrift shopping, shopping comes back, there's going to be more competition. And I'd like to see how they, how they handle that, that, that return of competition. So more interested, but going to take a wait and see approach. Yeah. Ryan. More interested. Uh, I think Peter is brilliant. He's well-respected, uh, especially in kind of the tech community. Um, uh, I also think Jackie just deciding to come on uh, is sort of a vote of confidence, especially for shareholders. Uh, if the, if they're mildly successful, it's a cheap multiple um, for sure. And EBITDA margins have improved uh, constantly and they're expected to improve sequentially uh, next quarter. I think there's a world where they're profitable. Um, I, I'm going to go more interested for now. Obviously there are 
some low lights, I guess you could say. The sales and marketing spend is concerning, and the fraudulent stuff, I guess, is more of a feature than a bug. But it, yeah, it's I wouldn't concerning. call it. I wouldn't call it fraudulent. Maybe counterfeit is technically fraudulent, but it's kind of its own. You know, it's, but it's, it's a like lot of people. People were complaining about it online, like it's counter. It's all counterfeit. But stuff. it's mutually agreed upon counterfeit items. I guess. I guess if you want seller, that. that. Yeah. But the thing is, like, when you do that, you're giving up. Nike's not going on here. I mean, Nike didn't even partner with Amazon. They're not going on here. Or at least they're not going to be legit on here. Um, uh, def- yeah, no. So, I mean, well, there might be Nike products. There's Nike logos, <laughs> but no Nike products. Yeah, they're probably very upset. Um, yeah, I'm more interested, and I'd say just like you guys, I mean, it's it's almost strictly because of the valuation. Um, yeah, I mean, three times gross profit, very cheap for what yeah. they're putting up on their growth rate. Margins are really tanking on the gross margin side and there's going to be this share dilution coming down the line. So you kind of got to factor that into play. And there are a ton of low whites with the business model, but you know, it, you're not getting the number one horse, but you're getting some pretty good odds. So that that's something to consider. Definitely going on my watch list, Ryan. Yeah, I'd also add the, the customer spend so that the customers that are staying are spending 75% more that's good and the orders whatever it was percentage of orders that are above $20 up 54% you like to see that because the economics are better that way too yeah uh, yes yes for sure you I think there could be some operating leverage as they scale but without owning the network without owning the the logistics stuff not as much maybe not I don't know there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of low lights here but if they can execute and turn things around, I mean, the valuation is pretty compelling. There could be returns. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know, I'm on the fence. A lot of things to like, not a lot of things not to like. Um, all right, let's wrap things up. We have the stock for next week. Brad, what is your choice going to be? Yeah, and I looked through the Chit Chat Money library and I did not see this stock pop up, but if I missed cool. it and it did, then just tell me and I'll pick a new one. But let's do UiPath if we have not done that one yet. I don't uh, think we, we have, have not. I've heard that one thrown around a lot, so it should be an exciting yeah. one. Software, B2B software, no. Yeah, we'll try to figure out what it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a task for next They're week. using a lot of AI machine learning, so it's obviously by. <laughs> flywheels. There's a lot of flywheels. <laughs> so many flywheels. Um, all right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we are not financial advisors, so anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Again, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.